The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. The Forever Fab podcast values truth and authenticity. We encourage our guests to show up exactly as they are, as the best version of themselves. Please note, this podcast episode contains adult language. Thank you and enjoy. This week's episode is dedicated to fashion and fun. Actually, it's dedicated to the style. Anyway... The topic is My Fabulous Life in Fashion. Welcome to my interview with Jordi Samerson. Jordi Samerson is a former model turned fabulous fashion stylist. She's a 20 plus year veteran in fashion and luxury in New York City. She studied tremendously and has an incredible background. And she started her career as an intern at Michael Kors while graduating from the Fashion Institute of Technology in New, in New York. She's worked for several brands, including Nordstrom, Saks Fifth Avenue, Alexander McQueen, and many others. And currently, she's the general manager of L'Envin on Madison Avenue in New York City. She also sits on the board of directors for the Madison Avenue Business Improvement District. I think it's so important for women to sit on board, so I'm very happy that Jordy's doing that. Recently, in the legendary September 2020 issue of Vogue, and by the way, that sing thing, singy songy thing that I did, I did not get that from Oprah. That just came out because it was inspired by you. It just came out. I didn't bite it off of Oprah, so I just did it. Anyway, Miss Jordy was featured as one of the 67 most influential people in fashion. Now, we know there are thousands, if not millions, of people in fashion. And for Jordy to be named one of the top 67, that's pretty major. So congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Jordy is here with us today via StreamYard to tell us about her journey in fashion and how the fashion industry needs to transform if it wants to transform lives. So welcome, Jordy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor to be sitting here talking with you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for beautifying my screen. Oh, please, please. <laughs> so shall we shall we get into it? Yeah, of course. Let's get into it. Jordi, I have known you for some time, some years, and I do know about your background, but I don't think any of our listeners do. So tell me a bit about your history and your childhood and how you became interested in, in fashion and what you wanted to be when you grew up. Yeah, sure. So it, I feel like it, believe it or not, I feel like it all started. Well, my mom always dressed me up in the most fabulous dresses and with the bows in the hair. Yes. And the bow. You remember yes. those bows? I remember those bows. 
<laughs> I used to cry because I didn't want the bows in my hair. My mother would be like, darling, do you know these were imported from France? I don't want ribbons. But anyway, we put the bows and the ribbons we in. The, I get it. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember when I, I remember in the 80s or in like late 80s, dressing up. I remember watching the movie um, Working Girl. Yes. And I remember Melanie Griffith, she used to get all dressed up. She pretended to be the boss and the CEO <laughs> and she got all dressed up and she went into Sigourney Weaver's uh, wardrobe. And I remember having this yellow blazer and little, and this uh, floral dress. And I used to have this bright pink suitcase that I used to carry around. <laughs> And they put on the typewriter and say, I'm going into New York City to work. Wow. I remember just saying that I just wanted to be fabulous, wearing big shoulder blazers. Yes. <laughs> the city to work. So I feel like my, my love started there. Um, and then I went into, as I grew into, I went to Catholic school. And I remember my first, uh, one of the biggest essays, like your final essay in eighth grade that you had to, to do was, it was a hundred page paper and you could do it on anything that you wanted. And I did it on fashion from the 1800s until like wow. those days, it was 1996. So I remember sitting there writing a hundred page 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 uh, paper on fashion. And that's when I realized, okay, well, I'm obviously interested in fashion. Yeah. And I was really into the magazines and I love, I adored Naomi Campbell yes. and, and Alec Weck and, you know, and it, it just, I just exuded and I just right. collected the magazines and that's when I realized, okay, maybe this is the industry for me. A fashion, one, a 100 page paper on fashion from the 1800s. That was pretty precocious. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. And and the teacher was like, okay. And this is Catholic school. So I mean, yeah. okay, what are you? And I was like, yeah, this is what I wanted to write it on. Good for you. And then you manifested it. Mission accomplished. I did. I did manifest it. I mean, that yellow blazer with the shoulder pads and the pink suitcase. You were ready to work. Exactly. You were ready to work. I was ready to work. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. And you did. So to a certain degree, we're all a product of our upbringing. I've asked some other guests this question, and, and I always love the answers. So how did your background and your culture influence some of the decisions that you make? Because sometimes, depending on our backgrounds, our upbringing, our culture, we could steer away from what we really love, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can be drawn to it. We could be supported by our culture. So what was yours like? Well, I come from a very typical Caribbean immigrant household. So both of my parents are from Grenada. Mm -hmm. um, I am first generation here. Yes. And so my parents were, you know, you have to go to school, you have to study, and you either become a teacher or a doctor or, you know, something of that effect. And when they said fashion, they were like, you don't make money in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> fashion what are you supposed to do with that right you don't even study for that and I'm like yeah oh, this is, you know I remember in high school I went to I did a summer course at FIT my parents like this is just not this is not happening <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually they had to embrace it because they saw my love my love for styling my love for clothes and I and my love for magazines and researching and and I think that eventually they just said, okay, just just follow your dream, follow Aww. your love. And um, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I and what I do what I do say is that when I travel, mm -hmm. I, I really 
tell everyone to do this, the same thing is when they travel, if you're going to the Caribbean, whether you're going to Europe, to really look into the local fashion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and really kind of try to incorporate that and bring that back home with you. And it's a little bit of a memory. And every time I do that, yeah. Um, I do get so many compliments, you know, on yeah. whatever I'm wearing. Where did you get that? I got this in a little shop in Italy or, you know. And in Grenada, we have a lot of African influence. Yes. So a lot of the patterns and colors you would see in some of the in some of the clothes down there. But um, it's funny because down in Grenada, they try to Americanize as much as possible, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Right. So, mm, stay to your roots. Stay to yeah. Your roots, yeah, because, because it's beautiful. beautiful. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And what, speaking of FIT, because you took courses there, you went to school there. So what would you say is the most valuable thing you learned from your education there? So when I, my first degree in is in merchandising and buying. And at the time I felt that it was very saturated. Every girl wanted to be a buyer. Yeah. And I learned, I learned a lot, but I said, I want to do something a little bit different. I want mm -hmm. to expand, I want to expand a little bit. And there's a major called international trade and marketing. Oh, wow. And at the time, there weren't that many. I mean, you could see the graduating class. The buying team, when they would stand up at graduation day, was like hundreds of people. And then for yeah. us, ITM, it was just like 40 of us. It was like right. so small. It was such yeah. a small. But today, I heard that it's one of the biggest graduating majors now because you, it's all about sourcing global mm. what's happening. And so I think I, I was a little bit ahead of my time when yes, I you were. that. And I knew that, you know, that the, the, you know, companies in order to be successful, you had to be, you know, you had to scale on a bigger yeah. level and you had to yeah. be global. And especially now with the internet, how important is that now? Right. Yes. Yes. So I think that, you know, all my courses with international business law, you know, importing, exporting, I really learned the business side of the business of, of yes. the fashion industry. Yes. And I think a lot of people, when they go to FIT, yes, the design is beautiful. And yes, you can have someone else do the business side for you. But I think it's important to have some sort of a, some sort of knowledge. I agree. In that Because yes, I'm in retail and, you know, when a bag, a $4,000 bag is stuck in customs, well, it's like, okay, this paperwork is not on that bag. So I can understand why things are being stuck in customs or what paper, necessary paperwork is needed. I can help guide, you know? Yeah. I think it's so important. That's what I really learned at FIT. And I'm so glad that I graduated with that major, even though I didn't go into um, operations or, but I, I use those skills and I incorporate that into my, into my daily life. Good for you. That sounds quite valuable, actually, to be able to understand, frankly, the business aspect of lots of industries. Um, if I were to if I were to build my own medical school curriculum, which I may do one of these years, mm -hmm. if I were to build my own medical school curriculum, I would definitely have an entire trap on the business of healthcare. Yes, I think it's it's absolutely valuable and it's foundational. Yes. So I'm glad I'm glad that you did that. Exactly. Yeah. Now let's pivot a little bit and talk about the fabulous life of modeling. When and how were you discovered and, and what did you learn from that? So I started modeling. I was had the interest when I was in high school. You know, I was always tall and yes. awkward and lanky. 
I was always the tall, skinny, awkward girl. But I always felt that um, I always loved being in front of the camera. And I wanted to explore it. And of course, staring at magazines all day. Right. Um, and looking at my, you know, I love, like I said, Naomi Campbell and always practice her walk and like <laughs> look at her walk. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> just like her. And yes. um, I ended up, you know, exploring a few agencies and I got into a very small agency um, at the time. I don't think they're around anymore, but they did get me some work. And I, I think that the highlight of my career was being a model for on Project Runway on the final. Wow. Yeah, it was like when Project Runway was just beginning. So I have was, to look that episode up. Yeah, it's with, I was a designer. It was the designer, Uli was her name. And I think she was a Miami-based designer, so I was one of her models for the final show, and it, it was mm -hmm. it was amazing. And to walk down, and at the time it was at Bryant Park, and it was just so amazing. And Michael Kors was there as a judge. Yeah, so amazing. But I will say, modeling at the time wasn't. It was very hard. And I always put my education first. So it's not yeah. that I was going to drop school and try to really pursue modeling. You know, right. I always put education comes first. Because mm -hmm. I never take that degree away from you. Right. Um, at the time, women of color, it was very hard. Mm -hmm. And when I would go to the agencies, first, they always said I had a commercial look. And I agree. And I understand. But it's okay. Because commercials, you know, commercial models, they do make more, even more money. Well, what does that mean exactly? Commercial look? Commercial look. That you're not high fashion. Oh. That you should be there on the commercials. Or you should do ads for Target or Walmart. I but, get it. Okay. But that's that's okay. Because you're still making tons of money. They, those yeah. girls make more money, actually, than the yeah. high one so uh, it's only a few i remember at the time it was only like a few like they used like the same like five black women you know yeah. sprinkle a little color here and there yeah but for the agencies they would tell you oh go to europe and build your book and come back or oh, my oh go to south africa build your book and come back mm. you know get into a couple magazines and then come back to new york mm -hmm. I'm, like, I'm a born and raised new yorker i live here why yeah. don't you go? So you're saying that Europe accepts black women. I don't understand, you know? Yeah. I, it didn't sit right with me. Yes. So yes, I could have gotten up and gone to Europe, build a book and come back. And I chose not to do that and to pursue my education. And at the time I was working part-time in retail and that's how I fell into retail. And, yeah. and I, I think I made the right decision for myself. Yeah. Yes. Well, you're quite successful at what you do. So I know you made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of modeling, you mentioned that it was difficult for women of color, for black women back then. Yeah. Um, my goodness, given, you know, recent events, recent actually ongoing yeah. events, how would, in your opinion, how is the modeling business different now than it was then? Better, same, worse? I think that, I think that, well, I'm, I will say that there are more women of color in the magazines, but I yes. still think that there's so much more that we can do. Mm. And I think that the, the fashion industry, I wish they would embrace more, you know, uh, of women of color. And they have. We've come a yes. long way, but we still have so much more work to do, you know, of all shapes and sizes. Back in the 90s, remember, it was all the waif-like, you know, it was all the yeah. very, you know, daunt-looking. And yes, now it's more of like the Kardashians that everyone's looking at, you know, but as for high fashion models, um, I would love to see more and more uh, women of color. I think that there's still a stigmatism and, and still a little bit of a, a race, you know, mm. it's still, we're still, Divide. yeah, 
yeah, there's still definitely a divide. Yeah. And I think that I would love to see in the next couple of years for it to grow, um, you know, not only for the modeling standpoint, but also for, you know, black designers to have yes. you know, that visibility and, and credibility, and, you know, and, and to praise them for the, the talent that they do have, you know, yeah, we, we, we definitely have some ways to go. Understood. Understood. And you, you worked at um, a number of mass lux retailers such as Nordstrom, as well as, you know, the high fashion, high luxury brands such as Alexander McQueen. Now, in your experience as an insider, mm -hmm. what would you say are the major differences um, between like the mass lux and the high fashion luxury brands? I mean, is, is there like a philosophical difference besides a price point? Well, it's all in craftsmanship. So mm -hmm. for me, you know, right now, fast fashion is, yeah. is the way, is what everyone's doing, right? It's the Zara, it's the Forever 200. And I, I'm not going to knock it because I think that fast fashion is amazing for young people who might not have the, the, the financial status to, to, or ability to purchase high luxury. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we know, fashion and styling is a way of expressing ourselves. So, you know, fast fashion is a great, you have great access to kind of, you know, express yourself and right. do it frequently because of the price point, you're able to turn it around. However, I've always been, even, you know, when I was in, in, in college, I preferred always to save my money. Yeah. And by, even if it's at 80% off, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you're young, you're in college, you're starting. Right. But you want to look amazing. I yeah. think that it, even if you save that money to get to 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 get those you know those pieces that are classic mm. and invest in them. The investment pieces. They're investment pieces. You know, I remember. Um, I, I remember at, at Nordstrom when I worked there. One of my first luxury pieces that I purchased was a Balenciaga jacket that was like to die for. <laughs> And I saved my money. It was finally on sale, 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 sale. Yeah. And I remember purchasing it. I ended up wearing it to that casting for Project Runway. I swear wow. to God. That sweater, because I remember Uli saying, oh, my God, that's, that jacket is amazing. And I swear it's that jacket. Yeah. It helped get, to get me that. that you see? <laughs> Fashion opens doors, folks. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and to be honest, that, you know, just picking in those investment pieces really takes you a long way because yes, you're putting money. It could be, let's say up to a thousand dollars, 500, $600, but that piece because of the craftsmanship will mm -hmm. last you for years mm -hmm. and years to come. Yeah. The Zara piece is going to last you a season, two seasons. If you're <laughs> Not even if you care for them and put them in plastic exactly. and storage bags. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you're paying for the craftsmanship. You know, these a lot of these pieces are, are made in Italy. And I, I remember going to some of the factories when I go to visit in Naples to see people sitting there and working with their hands and how many, you know, how many hours of labor it takes to make that one piece. It, you have to be able to appreciate it, that beauty and, to, and the hard work that goes into those pieces. So that's, okay. that's the value. And I think that young people today, I don't know if they really understand that, you know, mm. it's, I fear that, that that's kind of a thing of the past, but we need to bring that back because 
it's it's what really is the foundation of, of fashion and how it all started, really. I mean, that's yeah. Lan Van, when she started her company, you know, she started, you know, as a millinery and uh, just like Chanel. Yes. And uh, then she started making clothes for her daughter, Marguerite. And people saw how Marguerite was so beautiful in her clothes and they wanted to make it for for them, you know, for adults. And, you know, it all started that way. But she started this whole business, you know, on, on craftsmanship and is, is, is a, you know, it's a haute couture. Yeah. And of the time, it was very special. And I think we need to bring a little bit of that back. I agree. And one of the reasons, I don't know if you know this, but one of the reasons why I have been a supporter and admirer of Jean Lanvin's work for many years um, is because of that story. She's a woman. She grew up in the craft. Um, She honed it. She intentionally and initially did it for the love of her daughter. And it became you know, this fabulous brand. So for that story alone, every time I see the logo and the woman dancing around with, you know, her daughter, I think, yeah, this is, this is real. And um, you're right. We should bring some of that back. I wonder if there's a way, you know, how people are into sourcing their food and where their fish on the plate came from, you know, what ocean it was fished out of, et cetera. I wonder if we had a similar way to do that for fashion. Right. Like this piece was sewn by, you know, Miss um, Alexandra, blah, 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 of what country, and she put this many hours into it. If we could connect to that person on the other side of the ocean, the city, whatever, then I think it would perhaps mean something more rather than just, oh, yeah, this is just a sweater or a jacket or it's just a Balenciaga jacket that, granted, got you a fabulous job. But still, if we could connect to the people, because like many industries... It's really about the people, isn't it? It is. It really is. And, you know, like, for instance, there's so many amazing um, Black designers now, you know, like um, Sergio Hudson. He got to dress Michelle Obama, right, for the recent inauguration for Biden. You know, I think that, but is there's so many people out there like him yeah. around the world that could be in Africa, it could be in Sweden, it could be. Yeah. And, you know, we don't know about them. That's why I always say when you're traveling, I mean, mm-hmm. I always love to do it, but when you're traveling, go to go to the local stores, see if yeah. there are local designers, support them, buy yeah. that piece yes, and bring it back with you because you're supporting someone in their dream. And I really, really am a strong believer. Every time I, even when I went to Bali, I mean, I bought these like crazy, like bellowed out, like yoga pants and I brought yes. them here and everyone's like, oh my God, where did you get those pants? I'm like, yeah. oh, wait. Probably, but yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I would love to start, you know, maybe do something like that and connecting and, and getting, helping other designers, you know, um, get that visibility out yeah. in the world and so yeah. other people have that access. Very interesting project for you, Miss Jordy. Yeah. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> That's right. Things happen. We change the world on this podcast, don't we, Jordy? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of people and connecting, you connect with people through your styling. So what do you love about being a stylist? I love the way I help women, how to make them feel. You know, I think that um, I remember, so for the longest time, even though I've been in, in retail for so long, I think it was up until I started working at Saks where I would complain. I'm like, oh, I'm still in retail. Oh, I'm still in retail. <laughs> I love the clothes and I love the product because I know I want to work in fashion, but not necessarily in retail. Got it. So 
when I got to Saks, and I started at the worst time possible. I started during in 2008 during the recession, oh my where goodness. the world was co- literally collapsing. Yeah, and I remember like, wow, how am I going to get this, through this? Okay, let me just stay low and really kind of you know connect with anyone who just walks into the door, whoever comes in my way. And and by 2009, I had built a healthy clientele. Wow, and addressing women. Um, in the on the Upper East Side, from the Upper East Side, and dressing them for the bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs yeah. weddings, and I always yeah. get so many referrals, and and that's when I was like, wow, I really, really love this. Like retail is not so bad. I know yeah. I was supposed to be in fashion. I love the pro, you know, I love the product. I love the people, but this is really, I was really on cloud nine, and I still am. Oh, great! And I love the way, like, when a woman, I'll never forget, I was helping a woman, one of the bride, her her daughter was getting married, and she was looking for a wedding dress and she didn't know she was very lost. I remember helping her, you know, a couple tries. We were trying to get things in and I remember standing there in the fitting room with her and she put on the dress and she started bawling. Oh my gosh. That was the dress. Yeah. It's like that. I say, okay, like my job is worthwhile because this is like to make someone feel so good and so beautiful. Yes. Really so rewarding. And yes. I, I really enjoyed that part of styling. Yeah. Personal shopping. Well, you are one of the most perfect hosts for this, mm-hmm. or rather guests for this podcast, because this is what we do. We help to make the world a beautiful place. And you're doing that through your styling and you're connecting with women. And I suspect that part of that is helping women to love their bodies through their clothing options. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, you just described the perfect experience or story because my next question is how do you manage the emotions associated with people you know women's body consciousness right so when you work in retail you're almost like a therapist as well. <laughs> I know all about that <laughs> fashion beauty therapy, therapy. <laughs> and but the, the part of the love I love the conversation with my clients and I really enjoy them I, I enjoy sharing my story I love hearing their story yeah. and you know, it's helping not everyone knows what's best for them, right? So it's your job to guide them and say, okay, this silhouette doesn't fit your body type, but this does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in throughout the years and all my experience, I've become very good at, you know, guiding women, you know, okay, yes. this, take these silhouettes for you. This is great. Don't do this, you know, and it's become... You know, it's a learning experience, right? It's also a learning experience for them. So they just kind of learn, how, you know, what is really good for their body types and embracing it. You know, if yeah. you're size 12 or size 2 or size 6, doesn't matter. It's all about, you know, trying to make it work for you. Yeah. And I always say that when I when someone comes to me and they say, okay, I have a wedding, you know, mm-hmm. I have a wedding to go to. And I ask them, how do you want to feel that day? Wow, that's great. I'm like, well, how do you want to feel that day? Do you want to feel like, you know, very feminine? Do you want to feel sexy? Do you want to feel like the boss woman? Like, what do you want to feel like? That's great. From there, I can say, okay, now I know which designers I can gear you towards or what silhouette I can gear you towards or what, you know, color scheme I can tell, you know, you can gear towards. And that to me, I think that's where you can, you know, gain that trust level with the client too. Yeah. Okay. This person knows what she's talking about. Right. Yes. Yes. I know for myself, 
when I wake up in the morning, I say, okay, I want to like kick some butt today. I <laughs> put on an Alexander McQueen blazer. Yes. Or, or a leather jacket. Fierce factor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I put on those heels and I'm ready to rock and roll. And I guess, you know, I'm the boss lady for that day. <laughs> so I want to feel feminine and sensual and yeah. I put on l'enfant. Yes. You know, like, you know, a beautiful, you know, sweater or, or a beautiful blouse and, and, you know, light color. It doesn't have to be black, you know, right. light. So it's, it's really just how you feel is all connected with how you look. Yeah, <laughs> because fashion is emotional. Clothing, yeah. your, st- your style is emotional. Exactly. I, I mean, I wanted to do you honor today by wearing this fabulous Lava sweater. So beautiful. It's so soft and comfortable. So there's comfort. Exactly. Right? There, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, there's a V-neck. So there's a little sexy there. There's some exposed, you know, exposed arm and skin on the on the arm. So it's sexy. So it's a little bit of everything. Right? It's like you wear the sweater and you're saying, I'm every woman. Exactly. exactly. So I I do agree that clothing choices and options, and thankfully we have many. Um it really helps to, you know, it helps to communicate or express a mood. I, I love that you ask your clients, well, how do you want to feel on that day or during this event? I'm going to remember that, Jordi. Thank you. Yes, of course. <laughs> even, even with Lon Vaughn, I will say that there's so many stories. So those the buttons on your on your sweater actually are actually the, so her first fragrance was called Arpege. Mm-hmm. That little ball that you see on your sweater is the yes. top of the, the Arpege perfume bottle. Oh my There's goodness. There's so many beautiful stories that yeah. go along even within the collection. Yes. Um, and there are a lot of art artist influences, like French artists, the um, influential from the 1920s. That 20s, yes. 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 yes, I see that. I see that line. Exactly. Beautiful. Oh, exactly. I might have to come into the store. <laughs> <laughs> Although I can do equally as much damage online. <laughs> okay. And the, um, let's see, social media. Let, let's go to that. Um, social media for fashion, helpful or hurtful? I think it's very helpful because it's, it's giving visibility to, like I said, the small designers who may yeah. not be able to have the funds to launch a whole ad campaign, you know, yeah. they have, everything's on Instagram now, right? Yeah. On social media, everything's on Instagram. If you want to promote, I mean, your whole business can be surrounded only by, by social media. So it can only, it can only help. And Mm. it's really good because you can have a voice. It's a way of expressing yourself. Yes. And it's, I think it's a healthy, as much as I say, okay, I need to get off of this. I need to (laughs) Instagram, but it's kind of like, well, you still have to promote yourself. It's a whole branding around it. And, you know, it's an easy way of branding these days. Yes. And it's very low cost, right? So it's perfect. It's perfect for businesses, especially as an entrepreneur. If you're starting out in the world and you're starting out a business, it's it's the perfect way to to get visibility. I I admit I I struggle with it from time to time because I, I know there's so much that I want to say and share. I just don't necessarily want to do it with a lens on my life, you know, but. Right. I know. And so that's the other part too, you know, um, it's, you know, I think that you can ch- pick and choose. So you can pick and choose on what you want to highlight, you know, yeah. your, you know, go, you don't have, if you're going through a divorce, you don't have to, you know, put it on social media, you right. know, you right. highlight some beautiful pieces, you know, that with your, either your, your business or, you know, some other aspects of your yeah. life. 
So I think that it's about picking and choosing. You know, I hate the, I to struggle with it where you have to you, you have to you feel like you have to, you know, display your whole life on social media. And, you know, there's sometimes where I just won't post anything for days. Yeah, I'm just like, OK, I just need a couple of days just yeah. to, you know, step away. Yeah. But um, it's a way of staying relevant. Right. I, that I, I do understand yeah. that. I do. I do. Well, so much has changed this past year and, and we're still in it, right? We're still like in a flux. Things haven't necessarily stabilized on, on so many levels. Um, fashion has also been significantly disrupted, um, as has everyone's life. Mm-hmm. As the general manager at Lanvin, um, which is a legendary French fashion house, as, as we discussed. Now, what changes are you seeing either in the store or online and e-commerce? Are there trends that are coming out that as a result of the pandemic um, and obviously the economic, economic destruction, the, yeah, disruption, are you, are you seeing any trends that have emerged? Well, I will say coming out of lockdown last year, end of, Jan- of, end of June, we had received a significant amount of phone calls um, from new customers who have never mm. shopped the brands, who have seen things online that might have been pulled yeah. out. And yeah. so they want to see the other offerings, which is great. So it's the online presence is so yeah. important now. Yeah. Not everyone feels comfortable getting into a store right now, even uh, with understood. the means and, you know, not everyone's comfortable. And right. Being on, especially being on the Upper East Side, we have a more mature clientele and they don't, they want to get, they have to get vaccinated. They have to feel safe. They don't want yeah. to come to the store. So yeah. we're, we are seeing a trend of people seeing things online and calling the store and saying, okay, I've never shopped this brand, yes. but I definitely want to see more of it. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing that women, it's funny because it, it goes two ways. We have women who are coming in looking for just, you know, very toned down like pajama pants and knits and and then we have the other side of women who are looking for um evening events yeah because all those weddings that were postponed last year are going to happen this year oh yeah you know like they they (laughs) haven't happened this year so they're looking for um either evening or very comfort what i will say is that they're men are shopping a lot more now. Even Interesting. More women, <laughs> and the men are the ones who are like, okay, get me like three pairs of the sneakers, four pairs of the sneakers, get me 10 of those polos. It's very interesting. The hoodies, the t-shirts are, and they're not necessarily looking for um, suiting because I think that you have yeah. to industry. I think people who work in real estate, they're still shopping suiting and, you know, but I think everyone's, you know, they, everyone's working from home still. Yes. Um, so not everyone's looking for um, things to wear to work, but I do see a trend of more men shopping, believe it Interesting. or not. And, and the women are either going super comfort or yes. going for super evening. And they, there's like that in between is kind of like a gray area. Yeah. Accessories. Everyone is looking for accessories, handbags, you know, costume jewelry, sneakers. Yeah. You know, so right now, even with Lanvin, we're doing very well with our new bumper sneaker, the new curb sneaker. And yeah. I think it's a way of, they say, okay, you have no place to go right now, right? I mean, the, 
if you even feel comfortable going into a restaurant. But right. how do you update your wardrobe? Because when you make a purchase, you have to feel... You want to feel like you're new. You know, when you yes. incorporate something new into your wardrobe. So yes. how can you do that? A sneaker is the easiest way. A right. sweater, you know, a nice yeah. knit is the easiest way. Yeah. Um, so we're and they're comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. So I think people are really going for comfort and yeah. that's their, that's their, what's driving them to, to the stores. If there's a, you know, if there's any kind of interest. I agree with you. I really believe and feel strongly that things will come back and um, and life will be, you know, robust again. I just think that the parameters will be different. Yes, I, I, I do. Um, things will be different. They won't be the same because that's not that's not the point of a lot of things. Right. right. Not to be the same. Um, there's been there are going to be there have been seismic shifts. And I think we're going to incorporate that in our, you know, in the next phase of our lives. Um, in, speaking of the next phase and, and the current atmosphere. You know, a lot has happened in this past year and, and a lot is still happening. How do you feel the movements, you know, whether it's me too? Uh, particularly um, Black Lives Matter, have those things been a wake-up call for fashion? I think that, I think it has been a wake-up call for fashion. Um, I think that, you know, um, brands are becoming more aware and it goes back to the modeling, you know, what we were discussing before is like, you know, years ago you weren't, agencies weren't booking, they weren't taking on, signing on Black models. I think having more of an awareness now, mm. magazines are, you know, opening up their eyes a little bit. And yeah. I think that us having a voice yeah. is, is, is rocking the boat and it's make, it's making people say, okay, like we really need to incorporate a black model or, you know, highlight a black designer or, you know, I, I think that, um, or highlighting a black actress, yeah. you know, I think these are all, um, it's also important that this this movement actually did happen last yeah. year. You know, it's it's so sad to see you know the riots and and all of these things happening. But like if if we don't if we don't raise our voice, yeah. <laughs> change will never happen. Yeah, I agree. So, and I think fashion has been one way for so long that it needed this wake up call. It yeah. needed this wake up to say, okay, like we need to we need to open our eyes and be open to other. Absolutely. And and I would agree. I would say the same about the beauty industry on, yeah. me, on many levels, whether, you know, it's it's makeup um, or skincare all the way up to plastic surgery. Yeah. yeah. Um, the wake up call, the, the call, the bell has been sounded. I just um, hope and pray that people are not only listening and becoming aware to your point, mm -hmm. but um, but also doing something about it and, and taking action. Um, because we certainly can't do it alone. And many industries, listen, it's business, right? The bottom line is the coin. Um, I am hoping that people collectively and globally understand that it is in the best economic interest of everyone on all sides to include, to include people of color and to diversify the offerings, the pictures, the backgrounds, everything. It, it only makes sense because this is what the world truly looks like. Exactly. Exactly. And I think about even my own children, you know, what is this saying to them? 
you know, I hope that by the time they become teenagers that, mm -hmm. you know, that the world is changing, you know, the world will change and they will see, you know, the, the, the true diversity in, in, in the industry, in, in all the industries pretty much. Yeah. And like you said, even especially in beauty, you know, there's some, there's some companies that don't have every shade of right. color, you know, I struggle right. with that sometimes, you know, yeah. and even, you know, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite companies that I use for, mm -hmm. um, like my foundation, they stopped, you know, making my color. Wow. So, you know, and I don't want to see who it is, but, you right, know, no, it's very, yeah. <laughs> very disturbing to me. And of course. You know, is our, our dollars not good enough or is it not, you know, what is that? What is that? What does that? Yeah. Say? What does that mean? What does that mean? So right. it's it's very disturbing. And I hope that companies do see that, you know, the value of our dollar, you know, that black people do have a spending power too, you know, yes. we, have the, we have a very large spending power. Yes. And I think that's why I'm so adamant about saying, you know, we should support each other, especially in like black designers, black owned companies to circulating that, that, that dollar, that black yeah. dollar within our community. It'll build generational wealth. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's something that we really need to, it's a movement that we really need to be very serious about and really support each other because mm -hmm. if not, we will, we will always be where we are and we need to, to really help each other out and support each other to, to rise above everything. 100%. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is, is just circulate that, that dollar within, with us. Agreed. Agreed. Now being an insider in fashion, um, in your experience, what do you think are some of the challenges that, you know, BIPOC or, you know, people of color as designers and stylists face in fashion? Why, why has it been so challenging to get that platform? I think that, um, I know for myself, you know, I remember, because when I worked at Saks, you know, I remember some people say, oh, you know, not too many black people get promoted, but I got promoted. I did yeah. get promoted at Saks several yeah. times. Yeah. And I think it's just being recognized and having the opportunity to be recognized for your talents. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we always get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like even my, my career at Saks was amazing because I, they gave me the opportunity to show, to really show myself and, and yeah. my ability and what I could do. Yeah. But I think that it's the opportunities that not, is not always given to us. Yes. I think, and I think that's what holds us back. So we don't get spotlighted, you know, we get shoved to the side or, but I think right now there's so many amazing black stylists out there who's doing yeah. so amazing. You know, like for instance, Kalila Beaver, she does amazing with all the ball players, and, and they're doing, you know, she's doing such an amazing job and, and, and it's, it's really refreshing. And yeah. myself, I, you know, hoping to, to, you know, have my own styling company one day that I can, you know, be on that same level and and share my knowledge and dress people and start to help them feel good no matter what color they are right but to do it as a black woman to have that point of view and to have that voice can be so inspiring for you know the kids of you know the, the children the same the kids of my um age you know my, my children's uh, age group so yeah you know, they look up to me and they say, wow, you know, it's so amazing that you're doing what you're yeah. doing with my little cousins. And, and I think that um, we have to be given that opportunity. Yeah, because really style has no color. Style has no color. 
And if someone were to argue that and say, oh yeah, you know, style definitely has the color, I would say it's green, right? Yep. Because in, right? <laughs> because in the end, that's, you know, that's what you want to be able to produce. On one end, you want to be able to produce the revenue. And on the other end, you want to be able to feel good about helping people feel happy exactly. and making people feel happy. So I, I agree with you on that point. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your children, your two beautiful boys, <laughs> beautiful boys. Oh, yeah. my goodness. And um, I, can't, I can't wait to play with them in the park one day. <laughs> um, what do you what do you teach them about what's going on now? What do you teach them about color, about um, race, about equity and fairness in life? How, how do you do that? You know, I never, before last year, I never really spoke about color because they, first of all, they're mixed. So they are half Italian and half uh, West Indian, right? Yes. And I never really spoke about color, but last year when the Black Lives Matter yeah. that came out, it, I yeah. had to talk about it. Of I course. Couldn't, we couldn't ignore it because it was a yeah. real problem. Yeah. And they saw it on the news. And when yeah. we went to the city, they would see the marches. Even my son, Francesco, he went out and he was <laughs> leading a march on Union Square. Lives <laughs> 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 matter. Sí, certo, bello. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And um, and I think it's important that they, even as mulatto kids, that they 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 understand both, you know, where they come from. And they have to understand that their Italian side is beautiful and their black side, you know, their West Indian side, the Caribbean side is just as beautiful. And they are so lucky to have the opportunity to have such rich cultures and to have, you know, that my parents, you know, give them the opportunity and my, and I give them the opportunity to teach them about, you know, the, the cultures of the Caribbean of, of the West Indies of Grenada. And then, you know, they have their father to, to teach them about the Italian side. Yes. But I, I think that for me, you know, now like Francesco, my older one, he's in second grade. He's he finally learned about, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. I had to, I had to sit down and talk about it all. Yeah. You know, we've sat and we watched the movie Hidden Figures. Wow. Which was, you know, I think that was, I felt, I wasn't sure, are they too young? Cause you know, it's also an age thing, it's five and seven. Yes. So I was like, oh, are they too young? And I say, you know what? They're not too young. No. They're it all. They're gonna experience it. I've always yeah. experienced it. I grew up in, in in Long Island in an all white Jewish area and I've yeah. experienced my fair share of racism. So yeah. I think they will as well. Absolutely. And they have to know how amazing they are and, and you know, all the amazing accomplishments that black people have, you know, done accomplished in this world and, the, and how, what they invented and and to explain hidden figures to them and to see if they, they were like astonished and yeah. how you know the women were treated differently from everyone else but they were more talented than everyone else <laughs> in our room so to explain that to them was kind of hard you know yeah. it's kind of hard and it was it was it was very hard for me I have to yeah. be honest do, but I'm glad that I'm, I'm able to have that conversation with them and they're understanding it because if they ever come into that, you know, where someone says that, you know, they feel that they're better than them because of their skin color, I don't want them to ever feel right. less than anyone else, you know, that they need to embrace their, their, their color and their, and their culture and where they come from and their backgrounds. I think it's very important to have a conversation with children today. 
Yep, good for you. Because I, I do begin, I do believe that education begins in the home. That strong sense of self obviously begins in the home. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you don't, if you don't discuss it with them, you know, they may come into things later in life, yeah. and they won't know how to handle it. But now yeah. they're aware. Yeah, and it begins with the awareness, and it begins at home. Good. And what Good. you teach the children, yes. Yeah. Mm. You've been listening to part one of this fabulous interview on the Forever Fab podcast. Stay tuned next week for part two. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next.